podcast. We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Brilliant. So, last Sunday, I talked a bit about the cost of living crisis, the current climate we're in, and how we as a church community want to respond. One of the main things being the launch of a social supermarket. If you didn't get to hear that talk, I really recommend you go back and watch it, because it's our vision uh, for uh, the whole year. And so this morning, I want to take us through our responses as people within the community, as individuals, as children of God, charged with wise stewardship of the resources that God puts into our hands. We know, don't we, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It all belongs to him. We get the privilege of stewarding some of it. And so we know, don't we, that this particular economic downturn will affect people perhaps more than previous downturns of the past have done. And it's unlikely that anyone here in this room or anyone listening online won't feel the hit in some way. I have never studied economics, but I do know that this current economic downturn has multiple complex causes, is global in nature, and we don't know how long it's going to last, and how deep it's going to go. But the reality is downturns are part of our collective economic reality. And we won't get from this day to our final day without experiencing more financial storms. We live in a broken world with fragile systems. And so the question isn't whether financial storms will occur. The question is, are we prepared for them when they do. And there are some general biblical principles to live by that means whether we are in a time of prosperity or whether, as it is right now, we're in a cost of living crisis, whether you have been given a lot of God's resources to manage or a little, whether you're young or older, there are some general biblical principles that work. And I know many of these principles are kind of are in our church culture as open heaven, but um, it's been a while since we just kind of went through them and went through, if you like, God's money management plan. So if you follow these kinds of principles, you'll be able to sleep well at night. You'll know you're honoring God in every area of your life, and you'll know what it is to have his hand of blessing on you. So number one, we've got some slides for this. Work hard if you can. I know sometimes people are unable to work for legitimate reasons, but if you can, work hard and earn money with honesty and integrity. You know, work is part of expressing our God-given dignity. We're created in the image of a God who works who created. It's pre-fall. It's very important to remember work was given to us before the fall. It's pre-fall, not post-fall. It's part of our original design. Now, sometimes our work is unpaid. Perhaps if we're studying, I know loads of you in the room are studying, 
perhaps looking after small children or doing voluntary work. But in the seasons where your work is paid, work hard so that you earn enough to live and enough to give. That's a really good godly principle. There's a little verse up there. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They're not working hard. In fact, they are busy bodies, says 2 Thessalonians. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And then another, um, I, I love these verses. You'll, you'll understand why. This in Proverbs 31 it's, uh, it's, it's summed, summed up as the wife of noble character. So here we have a female leader, businesswoman, and entrepreneur. And it says here, she gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. There's someone who works hard and is able then to have enough to live and enough to give. Number two, live well within your means and create financial margins in your life. You know, the power of enough is huge in today's culture. We know, don't we, that yesterday's luxuries become today's necessities. And yet, in times like this, where many people have to tighten their belts and cut back on things, it's actually not as painful as people thought it was going to be. Perhaps less is more. Less stuff, very practically, means less things to clean, less things to have to fix when they go wrong, less things to clutter our homes. And when we have learned to live in contentment, something very strong and very powerful rules and reigns in our spirits. And we're prepared for downturns. The thought of cutting back or having less doesn't fill us with dread or fear or worry. You just think, okay, we'll adapt. And we'll learn to live with less, like every other generation of humanity before us. We, don't, we know that, don't we? You know, our grandparents and previous generations before that. And actually, we have got everything we need to flourish. We've got a relationship with God. We've got a relationship with others here in this community. We've got roofs over our heads and food to eat. So again, some scriptures. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's worth learning. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The power of enough. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, note the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then the well-known verses on contentment, Philippians 4, 11 to 13. This is Paul. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be in plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every kind of situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We often like that last bit, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. <laughs> Not so keen on how we learn that. But, you know, Paul has learned contentment through experiencing lack. And, you know, perhaps that's going to be part of our learning over this next season. And then number three, avoid debt. There is, of course, some debt that cannot be avoided. Student loans, mortgages, I get it. But generally, if you want something, a really good principle is be patient, save up, and buy it outright rather than purchase it on credit. And it's also much better to ask for help rather than to get into debt. We know all the stories, don't we, that how debt enslaves and traps us. I know that right now there are people here in our community, there are some people who are helping other people in this community to pay their rent. I know that in our community there are some people who are giving zero interest loans to other people that are being paid back. I know for a fact that in our community some people have already paid extra for the church weekend away so that others can get to go for free or at a subsidized ticket. Much better to ask for help, be open, be honest, than to hide and go into debt. In fact, one of the things that might be really good at small groups this week, if you've never as a small group talked about how you're doing financially and if perhaps there are some struggles, then your small group is an absolutely brilliant place to talk about that. You know, as followers of Jesus, there shouldn't be any taboo areas. Money is just money. It all belongs to him. And so to be able to be open and honest and transparent with each other is so, is so helpful. And that's, I think, where you see the beauty of the church operating as it should when we're all helping each other out. And you know, it could be the next couple of years do become financially difficult for some of us here. And that some people who've never needed help before will need to ask. I want to really urge you to embrace the humility that is needed to be honest and to ask for help. Amongst us here, we might be both serving at and using a social supermarket that we're running. And then number four, save for the future if you can. General wisdom, this is something I heard a long time ago, is the 80-10-10 rule. 
don't know whether many of you have heard this. This is a really good piece of wisdom for the average earner. Give away 10%, save 10%, and use 80% to live within your means. For students, we'd recommend giving away 10% of what you'd spend on yourself, you know, going out and all of that kind of thing. And the, the, the truth is this. Those who have saved over the years now have more freedom in how they can give and respond at times like this. There's a little example of um, that kind of wisdom around saving in times of plenty for times of need. Genesis 41, this is Joseph. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much, he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. There's some wisdom that's outworked. So if you've just started earning, or perhaps you're a young couple, starting budgeting together, remember the 80-10-10 rule. It will serve you well for the rest of your lives. It's also a great principle to teach your kids as well. You know, give 10%, save 10%. I remember Lauren's instructions to us a few days before she died. She wanted half her savings to be given away to rainbows and half to open heaven. And then number five, give generously to those who are in need around you. There are going to be people in our local community who are going to be hurting a lot more than many of us here in this room. Fact. And we are blessed to be a blessing. And there might even be some here or some listening that won't be that affected by this financial downturn. And it will be a privilege to be used by God to help those in acute need. Acts 2.45, we've got great examples here. Some who obviously in the community that were wealthier, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And then these verses, 1 Timothy it's actually 1 Timothy 6, I think. That's missed out there. 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which can be tempting, but it's so uncertain as we know right now, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age that they may take hold of the life that is truly life we don't realize how much of how we handle our money and how we give and how generous we are in this age and this life we don't understand we will one day but we don't understand how it will affect our life in the age to come. There's something really important in terms of how we see, view, and handle money 
that has a connection in terms of, I believe, how God will trust us with some of what is going to come when Jesus comes back. Honor God with giving the first 10% of your earnings. You know, make giving the top line of your budget. If you've got a spreadsheet, make just as, as a principle, put it as the top line so that your first and your best are going to him. I remember one open heavener sending us the entirety of his first month's salary because he wanted to establish a principle of generosity that would set him up to be the kind of generous adult he really wanted to be. So for him, I mean, it was a unique situation. For him, he felt it was a Holy Spirit nudge. Just give the whole amount, that first salary check. There's a really important principle, so where you want to go. And for some, particularly those who've been given the spiritual gift of generosity, 10% is just a starting point. Because if you know that God has given something to you about being a wealth creator, then it's actually fun to set yourself targets, to keep going over and above 10% and to keep growing in that. In fact, we've got a friend who has got a personal definition of being a millionaire, and it's when he's given a million away. Now, he has got the spiritual gift of generosity, and it's so much fun, you know? So if that's you, then don't stop at 10%, because something will come alive in you as you are giving more and more away. And equally, it's never about the amount. It's always about the heart. The person Jesus chose to shine a light on to inspire our giving was the poor widow who gave her last two coins. Luke 11:42, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees about the 10%, about tithing, says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So basically, Jesus is saying, you know, do the 10%, the tithing, but don't stop there. It's about the heart. It's about everything else uh, as well as your financial giving. And God has got a different economy to the one that we can see. And we've seen over and over and over again as people honor God with their money and at times give sacrificially. God always honors that. You cannot outgive God. You just can't do it. And there's so many brilliant stories of people feeling God nudged them and they, and they give a certain amount and then, you know, there's then unexpected inheritance that comes in or a pay rise. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's a wonderful way to live. Obedience leads to fruitfulness. And then number seven, trust God for your future. Don't trust your finances. As a church, we have seen God come through time and time and time again. And so we rest in God's faithfulness and we don't give in to worry. Wealth is easy to put trust and security in, but money has a strange power to it to become your master. 
And that's why when we give, when we've got our giving envelopes and we're writing you know, our amounts or how we want to increase standing orders or start a standing order, it's like an act of defiance. Every time we write down what we're going to give away, it's an act of defiance that says, money is not my master. I do not serve my finances. My finances serve me and the agenda of God's kingdom. So when you're writing it, see it as an act of defiance because it, it, it relinquishes the power that money can have on us. And it says, I trust in God before I trust in my finances. We know these verses from Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, this is so important, there your heart will be also. It's so important. There's something about what happens in our heart. It's like where we give, our heart follows. It's a really important principle. And then some more verses from Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then the end of Matthew 6, so don't worry, saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What shall I wear? Because you can have sisters who give you brilliant jumpers, for the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So quick recap, God's money management scheme Work hard if you can, earn money with honesty and integrity, live well within your means, and create financial margins in your life. Avoid debt, save for the future, give generously to those who are in need, honor God with giving the first 10% of your earnings, and trust God for your future, and don't trust your finances. Now is the perfect time to get onto godly principles of giving and never get off it. Let's give generously as a tangible sign we trust in God for our future. And as we give, we reflect the fact we're made in the image of such a generous God who gave us everything. I mean everything. Everything that we enjoy, he's given to us and ultimately gave his one and only son. Tim Keller says, if we do not have a heart to be generous, we've never understood the gospel. It's what the gospel is. It's the generosity of God that we enjoy. And so as we join in with that generosity, heaven opens wide because generosity is the currency of heaven. So let's give. And let's give cheerfully, hilariously, and with that, that kind of defiance of, I am trusting God on a whole new level as I give to him.